Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church Conway. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. Thanks for listening. Philippians chapter 2 is where we're going to be. Hope you have a Bible or an app. And you'll open that up. We're going to follow along with me as we continue our joyful series. Uh, one of the major themes in Philippians is joyful or, or being joyful amidst of our circumstances. On February 4th, 1979, February 4th, 1979, a, an insurance salesman by the name of Brandon Bremen. Brandon Bremen donned an NBA uniform and he walked out onto the court of the NBA All-Stars game. Of course, he was not an NBA player. He warmed up with the teams there for a while, shooting shots, stretching, all the stuff that you do, um, until one of the guys in the same uniform says, you're on my team and I don't know who you is. And so um, that's how he got caught being an imposter on the NBA court there. This dude goes on to do this and became sort of famous in the United States. I don't know. Anybody remember this? I was a, I was a little young in that I was not yet born. Um, is, is, does anybody remember this guy, uh, Brandon Bremen? He goes on. He sneaks into golf tournaments, professional golf tournaments, NBA games, Major League Baseball games. He warmed up with the New York Yankees one time and uh, did all sorts of amazing impersonating players, referees, even mascots. Got out onto the field several times in several professional settings. On December of the same year, in 1979, the same uh, guy, that same year, gets onto the field of the Dallas Cowboys-Washington Redskins game as a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader. (laughs) I'm not sure how he thought that was going to work for very long, but he did. He got one cheer out. Um, Reportedly, he yelled, go Dallas, before he was literally hogtied and handcuffed by the Cowboys' security. He was later sued for $5,000 for being a nuisance. I did not know, and it's a good thing to know, that you can be sued for being a nuisance. And they they tried to ban him for life from Dallas Cowboys games. Even if he did get on the field, I would ban him um, for life for, for trying that out. Have you ever ran into an imposter? You ever, you ever dealt with an imposter? Somebody that purported to be one thing, and yet they were something totally different. In fact, I think it'd be kind of cool to meet a person like this, like a celebrity, like a, an actor or an actress. Have you ever dated somebody who later on wasn't exactly what they originally acted like? Has that ever happened happen to you? Or maybe you hired a handyman who turned out not to be so handy. That can happen quite a bit. Social media is filled with people who are either outright pretending to be someone they are not, or they are doing so and really not aware of it. And here recently, I've noticed that there are a ton of people pretending to be infectious disease and foreign policy experts. I, I see a lot of that. I've, I run into a lot of experts. I didn't even know. I didn't even know they were, but they are. We've got a ton of people pretending to be something that they are not. And have you thought about this before as it relates to your Christian faith? Have you ever thought that, are you an imposter Christian? Have you ever thought that? Or maybe, maybe you wouldn't say it out loud, of course, and not here. That would feel weird. But are you, are you a real, legitimate, genuine Christian? Or even like a good one? Could you say that? Could you look in the mirror and say, I'm a good, I'm really killing this following Jesus thing. I'm, I'm so good at this. I mean, I think a lot of people would really err on the other side. Sometimes wondering to themselves, am I really even 
a follower of Jesus. Paul gives us some indications. He gives us some ideas here. He says, true Christianity and true Christian community compels true believers to be all about unity and selfless service. Those are the markers. Those are really how you know that you don't just have boots and pom-poms, but you are actually really a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader. Or in, in our conversation today, a follower of Jesus. That's what we're going to talk about today. But before we do, let's, let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the church gathered across these five services, those who are watching online. God, I pray that we would grow ever closer together, that we would recognize that Christian community is something that is compelling, that it's something that is motivating. It is worth fighting for. It is worth leaning into and finding and investing ourselves in God, I pray most of all that our hearts would be challenged, that we would lay down our own time and money and preferences. We would do so for the good of other people and the glory of you. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Philippians 2, we're going to look at 1 through 4. I'll look a little bit at 5 and 8 here in just a second. But to start off with, Paul says, writes, If then... There is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, any fellowship in the Spirit, if any affection or mercy, dot, dot, dot. He says, if there are these things, then you need to do these things. And we'll get to the these things here in just a minute. But the verse starts, the chapter starts with, if then. Now, your text may use the word therefore. And therefore is really built on the idea of what it came after, right? And, the, and chapter one ends with this idea of affliction or, or, or uh, of hardships, these hard things that people are going through. The Philippian church, they were dealing with some social, some uh, financial, some cultural hardships as they were following Jesus. They declared Jesus Christ is king. And for that reason, they were ostracized. They were pushed out. They were really feeling persecuted. And, and, and Paul felt that as well. Remember, Paul is writing from a prison cell. And so there's this, there's this sort of camaraderie happening, this collective, I understand where you are and you understand where I am as they are facing all of this hardship. And in that, you find this really unlikely circumstance in which Paul is not focusing on the hardship or on the pain, but he's actually focusing on the reverse, encouragement, consolation, fellowship, affection, and mercy. And that matters because these things are the sort of thing that you only find in the darkness, right? It's not when you're happy that you need encouragement, you know? It's not when you're winning that you need uplifting and comfort, fellowship, somebody else to walk with you through those things, affection and mercy. It's in those dark moments. And this is what Christianity offers to you and to me, is that it has an answer for the dark moments, there's a lot of worldviews, a lot of faith, a lot of um, helpful little things that you can put on the refrigerator or print out and put on the wall. You can even get pillows with phrases that will help you um, in the good times to see the brighter side of things, you know, and to, and to seize your best day, to sound like a Peloton commercial. You can, you can do all of that, but Peloton really just speaks to happiness. It doesn't really actually speak to the darkness that is sometimes in our lives that we walk through. Paul says, I, I feel that. I feel these things with you. If that's, if we are going through hardships, then um, if, if, if then we are doing that, then if there are these things, and he lists out these four um, sort of concepts. 
He says encouragement, fellowship, consolation, affection, and mercy. He says these are common, or the idea or the assumption is that these things are common within the Christian experience. That's why he says if, and it's more of like a, uh, like a hypothetical. If he knows that they're there, he's experienced himself, and, and so have we, right? Have you ever gone through a hard time and um, there's just something about uh, your, your faith and something about what's going on within you, like in your mind and in your heart, that no matter how hard it seems or how dark or, or how hard it is to navigate through what's going on, you don't feel alone. Like you, you can't really explain that. There's just something within you that says, this isn't the end. I'll make it through this. I'm uh, valued. I'm loved. I'm cared for. That's, that's really just uh, the ministry of Christ through the Holy Spirit working in your heart. That's what that is. Anytime that you feel that, anytime that you're going through something and somebody shares a verse with you, Scripture opens up, Scripture becomes alive. An Old Testament passage about people that have been dead for thousands of years, and all of a sudden you're reading that going, yeah, yeah, this is what I need in this, in this moment. That's, that's Christ working through the Word in your heart. That's Christ encouraging and, 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 and consoling and the fellowship and the affection and the mercy. That's Christ lifting you up. And, and that's something that we experience. But it's not just in um, what Christ does, but it's also in what the church does. It's what um, your college ministry or your small groups or, or, or the mom's group that you're a part of. It's what these ministries come alongside and do. Hey, look, I know it's hard and I, I know you don't understand these things and, and, and it's sad, but let's go to dinner. And let me get you coffee or, or let me bring you a casserole. We were talking about in the eight o'clock service how it's just, a, it's just a Christian thing in America. Like if you're going through something, you bring a casserole. I, I don't know, I'm, not, I'm from America. It might happen other places, but like anything bad happens to somebody, we're bringing a covered dish. And, and that doesn't really make sense until you realize that's this. That's the way we do this. We, we fry this and put butter on it and, and send it to you. And it helps, Right? I mean, it's funny, we laugh about it, but it helps, you know? Who doesn't feel better when a plate of fried chicken shows up? You're like, this is so sad, I love you guys. I just love all of y'all, you know? That's what's going on here. So we feel this in Christ. We feel this in one another. We feel this affection. The other thing that really kind of stands out to me is the way in which there is some sort of compelling factor to these things. If there's any encouragement, consolation, fellowship of love, then something, right? And before we get to the something, I'm going to get to the something. I just want us not to discount these things. They seem so basic to us, right? Just, it's just fellowship. What, what do you do? What, you know when, the, when you dismiss service and um, like if the preacher goes long, which never happens, right? Um, but if you go out there and then there's just the, the lobby's just filled with people and everybody's kind of laughing and hanging out and there's coffee and, and kids are running and, and people are, are throwing planes down from the balcony. Not my son. Uh, I don't know whose son that is, but they're doing that sort of stuff, you know, and that's good. That's like, that's, that's fellowship. It's like this big group of people that all come together. Why? Because we like black chairs in a big square room. Now we come together because of Jesus. Because what Jesus is. So don't discount any of this. This is good stuff. This is good stuff. It's, it's compelling and it's motivating. It, it pushes us on to do something else. Also, the, the deal about it is that these things, if they are true, then they are meaningful. They're compelling in another way as well. I was listening to a sermon by this preacher in Texas called, uh, named Matt Chandler, who probably by far is my 
favorite preacher. And Matt was explaining this idea that like similar concepts of, of love and care for other people or grace towards other people, that they are, um, they, they're, they're now the, the basic of uh, Christian apologetics, he says. That's the way he explained it. He says, the, the bar, this is, I'm going to go into like Matt in my brain here in a minute, but the bar, he says, is so low. That like in order to be salt and light, that the, way that, we, that the way that we treat other people, all we have to do now in order to convince other people that Christianity is valid, all we have to do is like not be mean to each other. Right? You walk around the world and, and, and you, you're on social media, you're in life or stuff like this, and people are interacting with one another. And the biggest apologetic for Christianity is like, don't be a jerk. That's, that's like, that's so, when you don't do that and you're like stepping over the bar, people are like, oh, something's different about that guy, you know. He must walk with Jesus. He must love Jesus. Before you had to know like epistemology and where all of uh, 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 the arguments for the Old Testament came from. And now it's just be nice to one another. So what we see is that these things that Paul is lining out here, encouragement, consolation, fellowship, affection, and mercy, these things are compelling to non-believers in order to believe the story of Jesus. But they're also compelling to us in order to what? In order to two things. The first one is be united. Verse 2 says, Make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, and intent on one purpose. These are really different aspects, really, of, of unity. This is what unity looks like, right? We could talk about it all day long, but the same love, spirit, and purpose, that is actual unity. Now, it looks like there's four things in that list, right? It looks like it's think the same way, have the same love, have the same spirit, have the same purpose, but grammatically it's not. There's really just one thing, think the same way, and then three supporting points, all right? So thinking the same way is the main emphasis. That's why I bolded it there. He says, if you have found um, uh, uh, your walk with Jesus to be encouraging in your darkest times, then think the same way. Now, this is not something we like, right? Here in the Western world, we don't like the idea of somebody telling us to think the same way. And really, and honestly, isn't this what Christianity is accused of? Like if you go to church, they're going to brainwash you and you're all going to come out like zombies. You're, you're not going to have your own thoughts and, and, and that's scary. You don't want to be brainwashed. You don't want any of that sort of stuff. And isn't this just proof? Look, told you that they were just trying to brainwash you, have the same opinions, have the same thoughts. But that's not what Paul is saying. It reminds me of this interview. This lady was on the news and she was being interviewed by um, some dude. They were, they were at a rally and they were talking about masks or vaccines or something like that. And this lady says, oh, well, this reminds me of, of the sheep and the goats in the Bible. That's what, that's what she told to the, the reporter. And the reporter goes, really? Yeah. Well, which one are you? And she says, well, I'm a goat because I'm not doing what they tell me to do. Um, number one, she doesn't know her Bible, um, because the story about the sheep and the goats, the goats are the ones that reject Jesus and burn in hell. Um, so you don't want to be a goat in, in that story. You want to be a sheep in the story. You want to follow the shepherd, all right? But what it really does prove, not only that most people on the news don't know their Bible, but also that we just have this wiring within us of we don't want to be told what to think. We want our own brain, our own mind, our own opinions. Sometimes I'm convinced that people will form their own opinion even if they think the other person is right, just so they can have their own opinion. 
It's what we want, but he's not telling them to have the same opinion. The NIV says, be like-minded. It's not think exactly the same opinions, it's think toward the same things. What are the things? Love, spirits, purpose. So love is this intentional sacrifice for the good of other people. That's what love is. It's not an emotion. It's I intentionally make the decision to sacrifice something that I have in order uh, for the good of other people. And that's what we do. This is what we do as Christians. This is what we do as the second family. So there are times in which I will sacrifice a portion of my time, my money, my preferences, so that other people can, can, can uh, have a backpack full of school supplies. I'll sacrifice my time, my money, my preferences so that other people can come in and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what we do. We will send people and, and resources and time so that we can help those whose, whose communities have been flooded or a fire has taken over, something like that. We'll go and, and do VBS in some sort of backyard so that children can hear the gospel. We do all of this. Why? Because we love. And we love passionately. That's what spirit means there. It's this harmony where we are together on this mission, which is the purpose. We talked about this being a great church would be those who love God, love people, and make disciples of Jesus. There's a, all sorts of things. She is not happy. That baby mad. Um, there's all sorts of things you could do instead of this, but none of them are our one mission. This is what we do. It's like I always say, like, like, there is no other organization like the ones that save whales and the ones that save trees and the ones that put on roofs and the ones that help people with their finances. No other organization is going to one day in their board meeting say, you know what, the church is really doing a good job at that. Let's start making disciples of Jesus Christ. They're not going to shift their mission, so we don't shift our mission. This whole thing. It's about loving other people, loving God, and making disciples of Jesus and only Jesus. That's all we care about, and we do it passionately. Listen, we are all moving in the same direction. Some of us are running, some of us are skipping, some of us are walking. We are going to walk and go in different ways, but we're going to think the same direction on this whole thing. That's what it looks like, and that's why it's beautiful, because it's so diverse. It's, it's so different. So the Christian community we experience compels us to be united. And that's great. It sort of gives us this big overarching way of doing things. But you know what's going to mess that up? Me. You know what really messes up unity? Me. Everybody say me. me. But you got to say it like disappointed in yourself. Go like me. Yeah, that's how it goes. All right. Now, I know all of you guys are great Christians, but I'm not. And so occasionally this whole together thing, this unity thing, it's going to get messed up by me. It's when I'm thinking of myself. And that's why I think Paul takes it one step further. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Isn't it crazy? He just said, like, be really united and don't do it selfishly. Because we need that reminder. Or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not out for his own interest, but rather the interest of others. It all starts, he says, unity really starts with us considering others. Right? This is a concept that means that you're not the only person on the planet. And sometimes we forget that, right? I was in Starbucks the other day on Day Board, and there was a gentleman in there who apparently didn't like what Starbucks was playing over the speakers. He, he, he had his own soundtrack, his, own, his whole, his whole uh, you know, movie soundtrack. He had it on his phone at full volume. 
um, in the middle of the table. He didn't even have drink or coffee or anything. Just sat back at there listening to his tunes, you know, and and uh, it didn't really matter what everybody else in the entire Starbucks thought about this or anything like this. He was going to listen to his own music. He had forgotten that he's not the only person in the planet, you know. And everything in me had to fight letting him know that he's not the only person in the planet, you know. Consider others as more important than yourself. Now here's something that's challenging for us. This is as hard as having, this is, we're, we're, we have a hard time with this just as much as we have a, a, a love for having our own opinion. He's not saying that you need to, these people are important. These people are not important. And you're kind of middle important. He's not putting any sort of value on people. He's just telling you to act like it. How different would the world be? How amazingly, beautifully different would our community and our college and our church and and our city, our state be if we all just acted, just pretend like other people matter? Like they can have the right of way. They can go first. It's all right. You know, that sort of thing. What if we just acted like other people were more important than us? I'm not saying they are. Just saying, act like it. He says to consider other people as more important than yourself. And then not only that, but then to look out for the interest, not only your interest, but also the interest of others. You see that? The interest of others means that you would not only know that they have problems, not only know that they are being challenged, not only know that every person you ever run into is having a hard time and a story that you don't know. It's not only that you would know it, consider it, but that you would look after it, that you would try to make it better. That might be a smile. It might be paying for their meal. It might be letting them go first, but that you would look out for their own interest in the same passion, in the same way, that you look out for your own interests. This is what Paul says. Look, it's compelling that if you've ever been in a darkness and you've had people come alongside of you and walk with you through that and encourage you and bring you a dish and and buy your coffee or just talk to you on the phone or just sit there as you cry and try to work through all of your emotions, if you've ever had that, that should compel you to be united with them and selfless. So that, so that other people can be blessed in the same way that you were blessed. It's, it's cyclical in my mind that we love other people because other people have loved us. And even if they haven't, Christ has loved me far more than I ever deserve. So this is the way that I move forward. It can all be well summarized, I think, in verse 5. Verse 5 says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. I love that he says adopt here. Adopt means, adopt, like, you know, it it means to take what is not naturally or biologically yours as your own. There's no difference. And you know, I can speak to this uh, from experience. Absolutely no difference. Exactly the same. This one is mine. This one is mine. That one is mine. And they are all mine in the very same way, but not biologically, not naturally mine. This attitude of Christ Jesus is not naturally the way that we act. We don't naturally act the way that Jesus acts because he's Jesus and we are not. And so I need to adopt the way. I need to take it like it is my own, which is, I think, summarized here in verse 8. Be humbled, or Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to the death on a cross. You see, what Jesus does in his life, what Jesus does in his death, is he humbled himself. 
so selfless that he made it possible for us to unite with God. When it's something simple, like just coming together and listening and singing together or having coffee or walking in the hall and laughing, when it's something simple like tailgating together or cheering on other moms or, or walking along some, somebody that they're going through a funeral service or something like that, when it's something simple, you got to know this, you got to remember this. All of that was bought by the blood of Jesus when he selflessly humbled himself even to the point of death. So as Christians, we have this practice. We have this habit, and I mean that in the religious sense. We have this habit, two of them. One of them is baptism, where we signify the death and the resurrection of Jesus. But another one is what we call the Lord's Supper. And as Christians, when we take the Lord's Supper, what we are doing is we are remembering the sacrifice of Jesus and the fact that we do it as a church together. This is something that is, is, a, is a stickler for me, that we celebrate the Lord's Supper as much together as possible. Now, we're going to do it over five services today, but we're going to celebrate together. This picture is all about the sacrifice of Jesus and the unity in Jesus. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.